Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, during the 18th and 19th century, Edinburgh was an international centre for studying medicine. But that had all sorts of odd side effects. It spurred an increasing grave robbing and also launched the careers of William Burke and William Hare, two Irishmen who in the space of a year murdered 16 people. A new exhibition at the National Museum of Scotland commemorates this rather strange time. Dr. Tacey Philipson is senior curator. Afternoon, Tacey. Good afternoon. So to kind of set the, the, the context of this, Edinburgh in the 18th and 19th century was a huge centre for anatomical study. Is that the case? Edinburgh was one of the world's leading centres for medical education, which for fairly obvious reasons did include anatomical. And um, that was intentional. That was the result of a push to increase medical education and enable students to study in Edinburgh rather than going to continental universities. So as a result of that, uh, big demand for cadavers, where did they get the cadavers from, at least legally? There was a huge demand for bodies to dissect that was, and still is, an integral part of anatomical study. And a very small number of bodies were available from... 1752, it was part of the punishment, the sentence for murder, that somebody would be sentenced to be executed and then their body dissected. So the small number of bodies were legally available from from the scaffold, Mm. uh, from people who had been executed. But the number of medical students, the growing desire for students to dissect themselves as part of their studies rather than hundreds of students watching a lecture or dissect really increased the demand for bodies. And having a world-leading medical school with large numbers of students in a comparatively small city um, meant there was huge pressure in Edinburgh. Did that lead to a certain amount of uh, people turning a blind eye and maybe not asking too deeply where a body may have come from? It led to the authorities turning a blind eye because medical education, trained surgeons, was seen as a very desirable thing. And it was tacitly acknowledged that this would require more bodies to be simply taken without consent than the legal supply. Mm. And most of those bodies were dug up out of graveyards. A freshly buried body, if it wasn't protected, would be dug up from a graveyard and sold for increasing sums of money in Edinburgh and elsewhere yes. in the UK and the world. This wasn't Mm, it wasn't just Edinburgh. And, and I assume then steps may have been taken to try and protect those bodies in graveyards. There were watchers, there were heavy, heavy cast iron mort safes to protect a coffin until the body inside it had rotted. And this meant the, the armed watchers and the difficulty of acquiring bodies meant that anatomists 
needed to and were prepared to pay increasingly large sums of money Mm. for anybody who would come and sell them a body dug up from a graveyard or acquired otherwise. And um, by the 1820s, we are talking several months' wages for a poor person. Uh, and that's a, a, and that's during this period Burke and Hare uh, arrive into Edinburgh. And now, initially, they what did they work at? William Burke and William Hare came separately from Ireland to make a living however they could. William Burke was a navvy working the backbreaking labour of building the canal between Edinburgh and Glasgow. He then worked. Um, as a weaver, and at the time of, in 1828, he was working as a cobbler repairing shoes. William Hare unloaded boats as a labourer. His wife kept a slum lodging house, and he also had a, a horse and cart and did some sort of rag and boneman trading. Mm-hmm. So the first body they sold, though, that wasn't as a, as a result of murder. It seemed almost accidental. The first body they sold, I I mentioned that Margaret Hare kept a lodging house Mm. and one of their lodgers died just before Christmas. And because of all the protection, the necessary protection of graves, everybody knew that anatomists would pay a lot of money for a body. And this tempted Burke and Hare. So they, they went to find an anatomist and said, we've got a body, will you buy it? And the answer was yes. Um, so they were given seven pounds ten shillings for this body that had clearly died of natural causes, and um, that started the temptation. Yeah. Now th- they seem to very quickly develop their own modus operandi of of luring in victims and then how they killed them. The first people they murdered seem to have been very opportunistic people who were ill, vulnerable, drunk, and easy to smother. And having smothered one drunk person and sold the body and stepped over that that ethical line, they continued to succumb to temptation. Mm. And but there was, there was a, they sat on their chest and pressed under their chin as it was something like that that they used to kill a lot of the victims. They, they, they covered the mouth, the mouth and nose with their hands and pressing the chin to, to keep the mouth shut mm. and um, yeah, pr- pressed them down for, so they couldn't struggle or, or breathe deeply. Yeah, now uh, we're talking, what, 16 victims. Um, and th- again, they're, they're, or at least the conviction of one of them uh, was again seemed to be the result of happenstance. Somebody saw a body under a bed. There, um, at the time of the 16th person to be murdered, William Burke, his partner, and two other lodgers were sharing a tiny room, no, no privacy there. And they'd asked the other lodgers to spend a night elsewhere with the hares, but they came back to look for clothing the next day and saw a body under some straw, which... Um, Mrs. Hare and Burke's partner, Helen McDougall, tried to bribe them not to go to the police, saying, oh, the, you, you can't get here with the police in time. The body will be gone. It will be sold. 
Um, but they, they went to the police, they reported it, and um, the body was, it was known it was going to be sold, so it was recovered immediately from Robert Knox's anatomy room. Mm. But forensic science at the time could not prove that Mary Doherty had been murdered. They all agreed she had been smothered, she had suffocated, but whether it was murder or whether it was accidental, there was no proof. Yeah. So the, was there a change of strategy from the police then at that point? The police, after a month of getting nowhere, realised, and the Lord Advocate realised, they would need to have one of the four suspects confess in re- and turn King's evidence in return for immunity for prosecution, or very likely everybody would get off, and the woman refused to talk. So they had to choose which they thought was the ringleader, who, who was the ringleader out of Burke and Hare. The body had been found in Burke's lodgings, or, so they asked William Hare and offered him immunity from prosecution for himself and for his wife, because nobody could testify against their spouse in return for his evidence against William Burke. Mm-hmm. And... So will- William Burke was was found guilty and hanged, but William Hare is the only known mass murderer to have been released without charge in the UK. Now, I suppose the irony in Burke's case was that given that he was a convicted criminal, where did his body end up? As a convicted murderer, he was sentenced to be hanged, to have his body publicly dissected, and the judge at the trial then said that he hoped his skeleton would be preserved forever. And that is what happened. His skeleton has been at the anatomical collection of the University of Edinburgh as anatomical teaching as a medical medical male skeleton. And we are presenting this in our exhibition as well. Mm. Um, It's a genuine skeleton as dissected. Of and, William Burke. And what's known of what happened to Hare? Very little is known of what happened to Hare. He was put on a coach out of Edinburgh. Um, he had to be very much protected from vigilante justice. Um, he was recognised in Dumfries. There were riots. And the last reliable sighting was him on foot heading towards Carlisle. It's possible he did make it back to Ireland, which is where he was heading. And in the days before photography, um, the, a change of name might have been possible. Yeah. But there were many stories, possibly more in, in hope than in reality, of him meeting a gruesome end in, in many places around the country. It's an extraordinary story. Another part of the exhibition I just want to touch on briefly was that this discovery of 17 miniature coffins. How small are these coffins? These coffins, they're maybe five inches long. They are quite fine workmanship, each one with a lid, each one with a clothed little body inside it. And they are one of the wonderful mysteries that will probably never be solved. But there were 17 coffins. They were found a few years after the Westport murders. 
And one of the suggestions is that the 17 represented and commemorated or provided burial for the 16 murdered people and the one man who died of natural causes who were sold by William Burke and William Hare. Oh, my word. Uh, Dr. Tacey Phillipson is Senior Curator of Modern Science and has overseen this new uh, exhibition at the National Museum of Scotland, which is called Anatomy, A Matter of Death and Life. Tacey, thank you very much. Thank you. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.